Hey there, friends. Welcome to the CFC Leadership Podcast, where we focus on everything campus ministry, college ministry, and young adult ministry related. Whether you're already working in one of these ministry areas, thinking about starting a ministry, or just have a burden for this age group, this podcast is meant just for you. I'm your host, Kyle Austin, and now it's time to join with us in today's conversation. So we want to talk about the truth about abortion. When you hear the word abortion, uh, we understand in our society today this is a hotly debated issue in our culture today. The Supreme Court recently handed down a, a verdict overturning Roe versus Wade, and as a result, we've seen a, a lot of emotions, a lot of arguments that have come back to the uh, the forefront, if you will, of the dialogue and conversation about abortion. There are people on both sides of this issue who are very passionate about what they believe, and understanding the divide or division between both of these sides. Is there a truth about abortion? Is there something we should understand and where we should land when it comes to the issue of abortion? As we talk about the truth of abortion, and we're talking about whether a woman has the right to have an abortion or not, we must focus on the question of what is the unborn. That is the main question at hand. This is will determine or should determine where we fall on the issue of abortion when we understand what the unborn is. Uh, Francis Beckwith has provided a lot of solid material and thinking along the lines of abortion when it comes to a uh, pro-life background. And he gives us this argument for the unborn, which is solid. First of all, we see this. The unborn entity from the moment of conception is a full-fledged member of the human community. Then, number two, it is prima facie morally wrong to kill any member of that community. We would absolutely agree with that. Number three, every successful abortion kills an unborn entity, a full-fledged member of the human community. Therefore, our conclusion is every successful abortion is prima facie morally wrong. And so what we're saying is, is it wrong to take the life of the unborn through the means of abortion. Yes, it is. Because abortion is taking the life of another human being, abortion is morally wrong. Now, many times in conversation about whether abortion should be allowed or not, the arguments sidestep the real issue, which is what is the unborn. Many of the arguments for abortion assume that the unborn is not a human being. And so what I want to do is take a very common argument that I've heard personally, I've seen on the internet, social media, that is used to defend the pro-choice or pro-abortion position, and let's examine it. Let's see if there are any issues with it. Let's see if there are any fallacies with it. And then we'll look at two other common responses that are typically given on the heels of this argument or within this argument for abortion of choice. Now, I will say this. Each of these arguments is very persuasive when you hear them. They're very persuasive to promote the abortion agenda, and I believe that's why they're used uh, so frequently and so predominantly. But as we take a closer look at each of these arguments, we'll see some definite flaws within each argument. Now, it's important that we understand clearly what each argument is stating and then understand its logical conclusion and then also to see if there are any fallacies. You see, as we understand what is being stated clearly, we can then determine if there are those logical fallacies that are there that would result in the argument being invalid. So what would be this common 
argument that is used so persuasively. What is this? And it can be formed in a question. It could be given as a statement. We give it here as a question. Doesn't a woman have a right to her own body? Or someone would make the statement, a woman has a right to her own body. Therefore, she can have an abortion. She can do whatever she wants. Maybe you've heard it this way. My body, my choice. So what is being said here essentially is every human being has a right to their own body. A woman is a human being. Therefore, every woman has a right to her own body. And this is something we would all agree with, which is why it seems so persuasive. So what is really being said here? Well, within this argument, it's talking about the autonomy of a person's body. It is stating that every woman has a right to her own body to allow what can and cannot be done to her. If it's her body, she has the choice to do whatever she wants with it when it comes to reproductive choices as well. So, therefore, when it comes to the issue of abortion, this is stating that a woman has a choice of whether to have an abortion or not. Because she has body autonomy of her body, she has the choice to decide whether she wants an abortion or not. Since it's her body, she has total control over her body to make the best decision for herself. So as a result, no one else has the right to make that decision for her, not the biological father, not a doctor, not even a family member, a friend, definitely not a complete stranger. Since it's her body, it is her choice to have an abortion. And since a woman has a right to her own body, abortion should be a choice that is available for a woman who does not want pregnancy. This means a woman should have a right to choose an abortion based solely on her bodily autonomy, regardless of the reason given for the abortion. Her bodily rights trump any other reason. So this is what is being stated in this argument here. Now, if we were to follow this argument to its logical conclusion, where would it land us? What what would it bring us to? Well, a woman is a human, human being. It is a fact that every human being has a right to their own body. We're not going to argue with that, that no one outside of their body should be able to force them to do something with their body. No, absolutely not. We're not going to argue with that. But let's think about this just for a little bit. Now, what if there is a little girl in the womb of the mother? We're saying this mother, this woman has a right to her own body. But what happens when there is another little girl that will be a woman in her womb, then this little girl has the same rights as the mother. If the mother has a right to her own body, so does the little girl in the womb. The same protections and rights that the mother is claiming are also protections and rights that the unborn human girl has. So we would say, yes, a woman should have a right to her own body and a woman should have a choice. But that choice must be made before conception. Why is that? Well, a conception is no longer just one person's body at play. It's not just the woman's body that has a right. But now you come into play the unborn human being that also has the same rights too. The mother has a right to her body and to life. But that does not trump another's right to their body and to life. If we say that she has a right to abort another human being, then we're denying the same rights the mother is claiming from the unborn human being. And we can think about it with laws against smoking. Now, you may smoke. Now, you have a right to your body to do that. But your right to your body to smoke does not override my right to my body not to smoke. 
You see, you have a, a right to smoke, but that does not override my right to health. And we see that being played out in culture. Why? Because laws have been established to ban public smoking. They understand that you have a right to your body to smoke, but you can't force that uh, on me by smoking around me with possibly giving me cancer through secondhand smoke and these different things. And so the logical conclusion of this argument leads to an inequality of human beings. If I was to ask you, should all human beings be treated equally? I don't hardly know anybody that would say, no, we all believe everybody should be treated equally. That's a mantra, if you will, in our culture. But if you follow this argument to its logical conclusion, you will see here that it leads to an inequality of human beings, which is the vast majority of the abortion choice are screaming for equality of human beings. So the logical conclusion here is it leads to an inequality of human beings. It means that not all human beings possess the same rights at the same time. It states that human beings receive their rights based on certain qualifications that they either can do or cannot do. Either they do possess or they do not possess. It's based on what they can or cannot perform. You may have heard of the performance view here that kind of comes into play. You see, if you have a right to your body to take the life of another human being, then there is not equal rights to all human beings, especially if you're saying it's because of this reason, because they're inside the womb or because they're smaller, because they're less developed or whatever the case may be. You see, the mother has rights that the unborn human being does not have, but supposedly gets under certain conditions that are not empirically verifiable. So we're saying, okay, this unborn in the womb, even though it could be a female, and this woman who is carrying this unborn female child has the right to life to do whatever she wants to with her body. We're saying the one in her womb doesn't have those rights until certain conditions are met. Now, Scott Klusendorf, he's the author of Case for Life, and he provides us an acronym to help us to easily understand this performance view or this inequality uh, of human beings that is, that is promoted with the abortion choice. He gives us the across to earth, uh, the acronym here of SLED. And he begins with size. Is it because of their size? You have to become a certain size to receive the right to life. Uh, do you have to weigh a certain amount of pounds? Do you have to, uh, to be a certain height or whatever the case is? Is it because of their level of development? Do you have to be developed to a certain amount, a certain amount of weeks, months, or whatever the case is? Is it because of their environment? You know, this one's kind of hard to understand that you can have a uh, unborn child in the mother's womb who we say does not have the right to life, that that mother can take its life through abortion for any reason. But as soon as we deliver the baby and put it six inches, three inches outside of the womb on the woman's stomach, all of a sudden it has a right to life. You can't take the child's life just because of its environment. And it's kind of hard to understand that if uh, a child is taking early, you know, maybe we're trying to say abortion, a woman should have a right to her own body till she delivers all the way through or to, you know, the, the third trimester, whatever it is where we're going to put the cap at. But if that baby's delivered early very early now we can we see babies being taken out for health and other reasons and, and being cared for and surviving all of a sudden it receives the right to life just because of its environment because it's not in the mother's womb regardless of the size and the level of development do you see where there's no uh it's just what this doctor says what i think what you think there's no objective empirically verifiable 
uh, view to it here? Is it because of the level of dependency? Uh, because they're dependent on another for their life. The issue here is, is you could flip this around the other way. Yes, we understand, uh, you know, it may be an unborn is smaller, they're, they're less developed, their environment's different, there's a dependency, but you can take someone who goes into a coma and all of a sudden their dependency upon others uh, is there again. Their level of development, they're not aware of their surroundings. They're not able to react maybe to stimuli and so forth. Are we able to take their life? Or because someone goes into a nursing home and they're dependent upon someone and their their level of development through Alzheimer's and different things that they're not able to be consciously aware like they were before, are we able to take their life? But see, that's what this argument says. If we can take the life of the unborn because of their level of development or their dependency, then you can flip that around to someone who has a health situation, is in a coma, just because of age, then we should have the right to take their life if we carry this all the way through. So if the unborn human being does not receive the right to life until one or all of these criteria are met, then there cannot be equal rights to all human beings. We need to understand this. This same criteria could also be applied to humans who are already born, but does that give us the right to take their life? Absolutely not. It would be murder regardless of the coma, the, uh, the Alzheimer's, or being in a nursing home. Absolutely not. So abortion choice states that human beings obviously gain their right to life based on their performance. Now, what would be some fallacies here in this argument? There are a couple here. Number one, one begs the question when using this argument to argue for a woman's right to abortion. Why is that? Well, the real argument is whether the unborn is a human being with rights. This argument already assumes what the real argument is about. So you cannot use the doesn't a woman have a right to her own body to argue for the right to abortion because you have not proved that the unborn is not a human being. This just sidesteps the real issue. And then secondly, it commits the fallacy of dicto simpliciter presuming something is true in general without any exceptions. So you commit this fallacy in this argument when uh, using a woman's right to her body to argue for a woman's right to abortion. This is the mistake of presuming something is true in general without any exceptions at all. Yes, a woman does have a right to her body, but, did it, but this does not mean absolute bodily autonomy. What do you mean? Just because she has a right to her body does not mean there are not cases in which she would not be able to exercise her bodily right absolutely. What would be some examples? Well, we gave the example of smoking. So this is an exception of to the general. Just because she has the right to her own body doesn't mean she has the right to smoke around me to harm my health. We understand that. Another idea here, we cannot use our right to bodily autonomy to harm the body of another human being. Imagine this. Somebody puts their arm on you and you say, well, I don't want your arm on me, so I'm going to cut it off. We can't do that. That's not right. So this is another exception to the general. A physician has an ethical mandate not to prescribe medicine that would harm the fetus inside of the mother, regardless of what the mother wants. Here we have another exception to the general. A woman has a right to her body, yes, 
But once there is another distinct human being who has rights, she can no longer exercise her rights to the neglect of the other's rights. This is another exception to the general. Now, as you walk through this, many times a person will respond on the tail end of this argument uh, to push their case a little further with the second argument here, or maybe a response we could say. Well, shouldn't uh, abortion be allowed in the cases of rape or incest? And those specific questions, okay, we'll, we'll walk away from does a woman have a right? her own body, but at least in these situations, a woman should be allowed to have uh, uh, an abortion. So what is really being said here? Well, let me, let's walk through this. Well, rape and incest are awful tragedies, 100%, that no one should have to experience. There's, there's no way we're going to look away from that. There's no way we're going to uh, allege anything different. To be raped is to have someone force another to engage in a sexual act against their will because sexual intercourse can cause pregnancy regardless of how the intercourse occurs. Rape can cause a pregnancy, unfortunately. This pregnancy would obviously be an unwanted pregnancy because a woman was forced against her will. In this situation, a woman should have a choice to have an abortion. That's what's being stated here. A woman who is violated by rape will have emotional trauma. Absolutely. If she gives birth to the baby, it will be a harmful reminder of what happened to her. A woman should not have to be reminded of this tragedy every day of her pregnancy and every day of the child's life of the awful actions of being raped. Therefore, this uh, argument stating, a woman who becomes pregnant due to rape should be able to have an abortion to prevent her from having to go through the painful memories. Her mental health becomes priority over the life of the unborn, and under these circumstances, abortion should be allowed. Well, you know what? I would say you're absolutely right. Looking at the child, she may have painful memories. It would be foolish of me or anybody else to say that she wouldn't. The injustice that has occurred in her life is absolutely awful and wrong. And the person who raped her must be brought to justice. There's no other way to look at that aspect of it. But let's unpack this argument to see what is really being stated here. That's what they're, they're, they're insinuating by saying this. But what is really being stated here? Well, what is really being said is this. The real question being asked is this. Is it okay to kill someone to prevent another from feeling bad or to make someone else feel better? Is it okay to kill an innocent human being to right the wrong of a guilty human being? So the real question being asked as we think about should abortion be allowed in cases of rape or incest, the reason being because she should not, she was, she was forced against her will, she'll have terrible memories or could be trauma. The real question then is, is, is it okay to kill someone to prevent another from feeling bad or to make someone else feel better? Let's walk through this. Now, it must be noted that less than 1% of all abortions are for the reason of rape and incest. So the question that's being asked or the response here on the heels of our first question or our first argument, we need to understand that less than 1% of all abortions are even for this reason. So this reveals to you and I, this is not the real issue of abortion. This argument is really irrelevant to the real argument it is trying to defend. Why is that? Well, let's say just for the sake of argument that we allow for abortion just in these cases. Let's just say for the sake of argument that I arguing for the pro-life position will say, okay, just in the cases of rape or incest, I will concede and say, yes, abortion should be allowed. Well, we need to understand only 1% of abortions then 
that have that have gone on would be allowed. But let me give you the top reasons given for having an abortion. The top reason is not because of rape or incest. Top reason given is they're not ready to be a parent yet. It's not a good time in their life to have a baby. They want to finish school, focus on work, or achieve other goals before having a baby. They're not in a relationship with someone they want to have a baby with. So the argument is for a woman to have the right to an abortion for the full nine months of pregnancy for any reason she wants. So even if we allowed for this in the cases of rape or incest for the sake of the argument, it would not be enough because it's not the real issue. This argument is a diversion and a strong appeal to our emotions. This argument does nothing to establish the right to abortion. Now, it's a very powerful and persuasive argument uh, because if you think about any woman being raped or any uh, person being molested or having to deal with incest and there's a child that's produced from that, that, that is a very serious situation. We all would feel for that woman. We would all feel for the child. We would want to see justice. Uh, come through. But we uh, have to think about what has transpired through this situation. What would be the logical conclusion of this argument? Well, let's talk about it here. If we follow this argument to its logical conclusion, then we must allow for murder in other hard cases as well. The rapist should always get the death penalty. Let's consider some other questions here that might help us to put this in the right perspective. Do we in America execute victims for crimes committed against them? No. Why would we execute the unborn child then? Because the crime was committed against them. Does our justice system execute the child of a criminal or more specifically a rapist? No. These are innocent people. And so therefore the unborn is innocent. We should not kill or take the life of that unborn because of a action of a, the child's father. Number three, should we punish an innocent child for the evil of the father? Then why is it different for the unborn then? Absolutely, we do not punish an innocent child for the evil of their father. They, are, they stand in our justice system against themselves for their own actions. Does the murder of the unborn correct a rape? Think about that. So in order to fix the situation that happened, we're going we're gonna, to uh, fulfill an abortion, which is murder. So abortion would then be a second act of violence. You can't fix one act by doing another act of violence. Number five, should we tell someone who was conceived in violence that they do not have the right to live? Think about that. Think about all the people who have been conceived through some act of violence. And we're going to tell them you don't have a right to live because of the way you were conceived. So why would we do that to the unborn? We wouldn't do it to somebody who's living. You say we don't discriminate based on parentage. And then here's one that kind of helps us to think through. If the mother of a toddler from rape, which is the argument we're talking about here, is on antidepressant medicine and seeing the child causes her to become depressed, is it okay to kill the child? We would say absolutely not. That is wrong. You cannot do that. You see, why would we do that to the unborn? We can't do that to the unborn either. And so one thing that helps us as we think about some of these issues, and I think it's Scott Closendorf that says, is drag in the toddler. Put a toddler in that situation. If we could not do it to the toddler, then we cannot do it to the unborn. You see, we would, we would have compassion and pity this mother who uh, was raped and is on antidepressant medicine, and we would want to get her help. And just because she sees the child 
and it causes her to become depressed, we can't take the life of that child. We want to help her. We want to get her help. But that brings us back to what this real question is asking. Is it okay to kill someone to prevent another from feeling bad or to make someone else feel better? It is absolutely not. It is not okay. So what would be some fallacies in this argument or this response? Well, again, using rape or incest uh, circumstance here for abortion choice begs the question of whether the unborn is a human being. It is assuming what it sets out to prove. It assumes that the unborn is not a distinct, whole, living human being. It assumes that the unborn can be killed, but this is the very heart of the argument. And then secondly, very strongly here, it is an argument from pity. This argument is guilty of arguing from pity, from emotion here. So using the emotional appeal of rape or incest for force. Of course, we feel pity and sorrow for the woman who experiences rape and for the child that will be born. But this in no way establishes the right to abortion for any reason. Pity cannot be a substitute for facts. Pity cannot be a substitute for truth in an argument or in an argument itself. So pity used in this argument is merely a diversion of the real argument. And we must be reminded that, remember, less than 1% of abortions are given for this reason. So this is not even relevant to the issue at hand. And then so finally someone, as they we talk about this, they may concede and give a final kind of plea, if you will, uh, that this, that you shouldn't push your beliefs on other people. Well, whatever you think, okay, whatever about the, doesn't a woman have a right to her own body, uh, whatever about to, in the cases of rape and incest, but you just should not push your beliefs on other people. And this is very persuasive because it makes people in our culture, whoa, 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 maybe I shouldn't push my beliefs, my religious beliefs, what I think, I need to keep that to myself myself. Is that right? Is that what we should do? What is really being said here uh, in this statement? We are saying that whatever our beliefs are about abortion, this is what the uh, abortion choice person is stating, we should keep those to ourselves, or you should keep those to yourself. If we think a woman does not have a right to abortion, we should remain silent so we do not force our beliefs on someone else. And so, therefore, abortion should be left up to each individual person. You and I have no right to push our beliefs on someone else to tell them they should not have abortion. And as a result, they should be able to have an abortion for whatever reason they want. Now, if we follow this uh, rebuttal or this uh, kind of argument here to its logical conclusion, what will we see? Well, if this is the case, then no one should push their, push their belief on another person about anything at all, no matter if it is morally wrong or not. So if we can't push our beliefs on other people about abortion, we can't push our beliefs on other people about anything at all. As a result, we should not have any laws. Why? Because laws are pushing someone else's belief on another. That's what the law is. It's telling you cannot do this or you must do it this way. That is a belief that's being pushed off on someone else. So if you say this, let's think it all the way through here. If I think it's okay to steal and I decide to steal your entire savings account and your entire 401k, then that is okay. You say, hey, no, it's not. Well, yes, it is. Don't push your beliefs on me. Don't push your beliefs on me that you think it's wrong to steal. That's the same thing. And if I think it's right to steal, I can take your money, your savings account, your retirement. Don't you say anything to me. If someone thinks it's okay to take your life for calling them a name or pushing them or because they don't like the color of your hair, then don't push your beliefs on other people. Do you see where this argument goes? 
So what would be some fallacies that we would find in this argument? Well, again, this argument also begs the question of whether the unborn is a human being. That is the essential argument. That's where we need to be at, but this is sidestepping it. Number two, this argument is self-refuting, meaning the very thing it is stating that we should not do, it is doing. So the one stating we should not push our beliefs on someone else is pushing their beliefs on us that we should not push our beliefs on someone else. You see, it's self-refuting. It's doing the exact same thing. It's saying it should not be done. So essentially, I'm pushing my belief that you shouldn't push your beliefs on other women. It doesn't work that way. This also coming from a person who is arguing arguing for abortion choice, an argument that is pushing the belief of abortion choice on another. While they're telling us you shouldn't push your beliefs on other people, they're telling us, well, abortion should be allowed. And I'm telling you it should be allowed. That's my belief. You see, this is a self-refuting argument. And then lastly here, I would say ad baculum. It's appeal to force as a type of diversion. Uh, it's a type of diversion by force or even shame, I would say. When you make this statement, you shouldn't push your beliefs on other people. It's meant to silence people. It's meant to make them feel bad or wrong for stating what they believe and that they should not do this. So rather than argue for the issue at hand, which is whether the unborn is a human being with the right to life, it is a diversion from the real issue. Regardless, can I say this, beliefs do not determine morals. Morality is settled regardless of what I believe and what you believe. The dignity and value of human life is settled regardless of what I or you believe on the simple fact that the unborn is a human being. Now, while each of these arguments is used effectively in the debate for abortion, as we have seen, each has multiple mistakes that makes the argument invalid. When you follow them to their logical conclusion, it doesn't come out right. The, there's numerous fallacies in each one of these. Now, obviously, the issue of abortion is a very emotional issue on both sides. So what must be done is to remove the emotions so that we can see and understand clearly what is being stated and get to the truth of the matter. If we could somehow just remove our biases and our own wants and just pursue truth together to find out the truth for abortion, we would understand that the unborn is a distinct, living, whole human being and therefore has the right to life. If we're going to say that an unborn human being only gives gets the right to life once they reach a certain size, a certain level of development, uh, come into a certain environment from inside the womb to outside the room, uh, womb, and then a certain level of dependency, then there is no equality for human beings. We are placing on other human beings uh, criteria that they must meet in order to be equal with the rest, rest of us. But a person has the right to life because they are a human being, and the unborn is a human being. It's just a human being that is smaller in size, that is dependent upon the mother, and, uh, and it's in a womb, uh, but it is nonetheless it is a human being. So this must be addressed first. What is the unborn as the central issue of the entire debate? Thank you for taking the time to listen. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please share it with a friend or subscribe to stay up to date on the latest episodes. You can connect with Collegians for Christ online for more information and resources at cfccampusministry.com.